This is Dojo Live, Tech Without Borders, stories that bring us together. Welcome back to the second Dojo Live for today. This is Tulio Sergusa broadcasting from Southern California. Joining me today is Kim Lantis from Hermosillo, Mexico. Hi, Kim. Welcome back. Hey, Tulio. Thanks. And all the way just outside of Tel Aviv, Israel, is our guest, Igor Weinberg, who is the CTO at Tipalti. Welcome to the show, Igor. Good to have you. Thanks for having me. Well, we know it's quite late there, so we're going to try to keep you uh, awake with and entertain as best as we can. Uh, we're talking today about automation, automation and finance. But before we dive into the conversation and the topic today and see what we can learn from you, let's get to know you a little bit. Uh, if you could please tell us a little bit about Igor, and then we'll talk about Tipalti next. Again, welcome to the show. Thanks. So... Uh, hi, I'm Igor. I've uh, been in Tipalti for 10 years now, and uh, I've started here as the second developer in the company and uh, grew within, in an amazing ride as the company grew as well. Uh, my background is uh, going all the way, I stack all the way to uh, middle school. I've uh, learned to program kind of on my own started my first uh, development job in high school was uh, very exciting to get a high tech salary when you're 16 was very very helpful and from there i did a, a lot of different jobs i did uh, i wrote software for uh, uh, fire detectors like fire alarms for uh, web uh, applications for uh, mobile apps and here in Tipalti I got uh, a major opportunity to uh, build the future of finance. Awesome. That's amazing. I bet you probably learned Cobalt and Pascal. Am I, am I on to something here? Pascal was my first programming language. <laughs> my first job awesome. was in Pascal. We're all dating ourselves a little bit, but anyway. Oh, yeah. No, not me, not me. Leave me let's, out of it. Let's, <laughs> let's talk about Tipalti. Uh, what does the company do? What was the sort of like, we need to go solve this problem. Tell us a little bit about it. So Tipalti originated just by solving the problem of global mass payments, which is uh, when you're like an ad company, affiliate network, you have a, uh, a huge pain just getting everyone paid. People all over the world who have different needs and different ways to send money over. It's a, a big, big challenge just because of all the regulations and all the different uh, aspects of just moving money around globally. And like, this was the core of Tipalti, the original product. But we've since expanded. And now our vision is just to uh, automate uh, accounts payable and finance for finance teams all over, we really provide uh, them with uh, a huge uh, solution for lots of headaches in our down, around supplier management, invoice management, how to get, again, everybody paid, their suppliers happy, how to uh, make sure nothing gets lost around the process and to save everyone lots of time. All right, well, let's see what we can learn. 
Kim, if you could do the honors to introduce the topic and the question we're going to answer today. Of course. Thank you. Thank you, Tulio. Thank you, Igor, for joining us today. It sounds like we're going to be saving people not only time, but headaches, right? Um, so mm -hmm. the, today, the topic as chosen by you is automating is key to company success. And more specifically, how to implement automation in finance. So my question for you is, when you chose this topic, and when it comes to automation, would you say that finance or what areas of automation for any company are the areas that they'd want to focus on first? Would finance be that number one? Um, well, it, I think it should be, to be honest. But in truth, it's one of the last places that company usually goes to automate. Mm -hmm. And uh, our area, the accounts payable, which they are the department that has to send money out of the company, they tend to get even get it even later. So companies, they love to put money in, but uh, when it comes to sending money out, that tends to get a lot less love from the management. And this is where we come in. I'm going to guess that it's probably a little scary uh, for companies. I mean, automating money coming in. Yes, that makes sense, right? <laughs> but automating money going out, yeah, that's, could be some, that could be scary to some companies. Is that why it's the last thing that it's looked at? And, and is that the right context for companies to have in your thought? In your uh, it, it might be. Um, it's hard for me to relate. Like coming from a technological like background, like automating is how you solve these things. Like the old. So uh, it, like, it, like, you probably are correct in this is how they think, but like, I can't relate to that. I, I also think it's just a matter of priorities because uh, when you're like a CEO of a company, when you think of you know, what, do you, what does your business need, the part where oh, I have to actually pay our suppliers on time is going to be fairly down the list of, uh, of everything else on you know, keeping the company alive, getting revenue going, getting the product out, and, uh, and so on. So it just gets uh, shoved a bit down. So, so in your, why does this matter then? Why does this matter to companies? Why should they automate this to begin with? Uh, what's the pain point that you guys are solving? Well, first of all, like we're solving, I said we're solving headaches and like I, and it's true, like these uh, companies have a lot of, uh, a lot of issues around this. Uh, if if uh, you're working manually, there's lots of errors, lots of manual repetitive work. It's uh, not only creating lots of delays, it creates lots of uh, uh, like general like, like, uh, morale issues for the team because they have to do the same work over and over again. And really, when you automate it, you free up a lot of the team's time. You do a lot of, uh, you let them do a lot of the different work, which they are more suited for, more creative work, more uh, strategic work. And we see that, again, it makes those teams much happier overall and helps retention and so on. For sure, for sure. You know, it's interesting because you talk about, you know, maybe accounts payable being a little lower on that list. And I think that makes sense. But at the same time, I think to have those strong relationships with everyone that you're doing business with, right, ultimately is going to make your business better. So 
for those naysayers out there, let's let's just say that fear is the motivator of the automation for this, as, as Tulio postulates. What would you say, speak to, to Palti or the technology that you're utilizing to kind of put that at ease? Why is it that we can trust automation? What makes it so reliable? Well, for starters, our automation specifically, it has been battle tested, right? We've been around for 12 years. We know how it works. We know what companies need. We've implemented it. We have uh, very large customers working and working happily with us. We have a very low retention, a very like high retention rate, over 19%. So they are very happy with us and they stay in. And uh, like that's, those are really like evidence that what we're doing is really helping them. And we are seeing from customers that they were able to scale and grow with Tipalti throughout many, many years while actually keeping their accounts payable team at a relatively low size. And those people aren't overworked. They aren't uh, living all the time, having to be replaced. They are doing like uh, things they actually like. So I'm curious a couple of things. One, what is the typical client uh, that's the right fit for what you guys are doing in terms of size, industry, if there are any uh, that you guys have already uh, sort of pinpointed that these are our key ICPs, right? And yeah. secondly, you know, from a product roadmap, you've been in business 10, 12 years, you've got a lot of feedback from customers, right? What, what if I had this feature and that feature? And what about this? And what about that? How do you guys go about validating and prioritizing what goes into the roadmap? So I'm just curious to learn uh, those two questions, if you could highlight for us uh, that appreciate that. So about our customers, our ideal customer is the, what we call a mid-sized company, a mid-market company. So, um, this is where we see the biggest pain. When you're a small company, generally, you don't really feel it all that much. You can still manage everything with a very small team. When you're a very large company, you probably just have an army of developers doing all the work for you anyway. But in the middle, there is this huge gap where you, you're big, you're important, you're feeling the pain. You still don't have the resources to uh, automate everything by yourself. And this is where we can step in and just provide all of the tools and all the automations and all of the workflows to just uh, solve this problem and make that mid-market company operate more like an enterprise. Uh, for a second question about uh, how do we like do our roadmap and our features from our customers, we listen to our customers. They, they know what they need. They're telling us we're listening. We are, for example, one of the biggest, uh, things customers always wanted is uh, to sync with their ERP systems where they keep all their of their records. And this is our, a big, big initiative within Tipalti. We're spending lots of effort to make sure that we can integrate with all of the ERPs the customers might want to sync all of their data back, again, autom automatically, quickly, error-free. So again, solve them that manual entering, which takes so much time and effort. For sure. So oh, go ahead. 
Sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to, one more thing. To your point, the larger companies might have sophisticated supply chain systems, enterprise resource planning system tied into their finance that allows them to, and also an army of people that can customize, enhance these and, and mm-hmm. to fit their needs, right? So I'm curious about from a mid-market company, what are some of the typical companies that benefit the most? We know some companies have mission critical, just in time inventory, for example. So if they're selling something, but they have a vendor who produces it for them, the ability to purchase those items and pay them on time really impacts their sales, their ability to deliver on their customer promise. So I'm just curious, you know, in what verticals where, where this is like a simple, straightforward must have, have you guys discovered? What are some of those key verticals so far? Uh, honestly, we can we can sell a pain of almost any company in almost any vertical. We we do see that like like you said, the e-commerce uh, vertical is very large because of like you said, they have to have many suppliers. They have, it is the critical relationship for them, and they have to make sure that they get uh, their uh, getting paid on time. It's uh, but we have customers from all over, from basically almost any industry. We have like railway companies, we have uh, construction companies, and almost anyone can benefit from uh, from automation within their finance. Of course. So, talking about the actual users of the Tapalti product, um, I imagine accounts payable. Most of these people have a finance background, not an engineering background. And going for, you know, mid, mid-sized companies who might not have the development team to help with that. I imagine that there's a, a no-code element or how does Topalti work so that your users without an engineering background can easily access and utilize the data and the system? So we provide them with like, with the workflow that they can uh, basically manage their purchase order, their invoices, the invoice comes in, it automatically gets scanned. They can see everything like that's related to it. Who is the supplier? How much do they want? What is connected to? And they just need to basically like, hit approve a couple of times and the supplier gets paid. Uh, behind the scenes, there's a lot of engineering, a lot of coding. And there is some implementation as they come live to connect them to all their systems, to their ERP, to their like, data email collection services and, uh, and so on. But fortunately, this is very easy and it's behind the scenes and the finance teams just get a very easy to use software, which they uh, just, just use as is. I want to shift a little bit about uh, what it's been like building this product. You said you were like the number two develop the, the one of the first developers that joined the company. Now you're the chief technology officer of the company. So you've seen a tremendous growth and evolution of the product and the market, your client base, et cetera. Uh, and I'm curious to learn sort of how did you keep up with the pace you know it's one thing when you're just a few people building a product it's another thing managing a whole roadmap and uh various teams qa etc just curious about what's that experience been like for you and what are some of the things you learned that are good best practices in terms of helping other ctos who might be watching to scale uh the business as it grows so yeah it- it has been incredible building Tipalti. 
and uh, it was a learning experience for me and for many of the other people within the organizations. We have like, many people also like me who like grew up from within the ranks and from a developer became a like, director, VP of engineering, chief architect, and, uh, and many other like very high level roles. I think something that we always had to keep in, in check which uh, is very, it's very important for my, our field of fintech, but I think it's important for any company is to always manage the balance between running fast and getting the product out as quickly as possible and getting new features out, but still staying stable to make sure that we don't introduce too many issues, too many bugs and, uh, and problems into the, into the whole system. Uh, when you're dealing with moving lots of money and someone else's money around, it's critically important, but I think it's important for, because for every company and uh, that balance kind of the tension between the run and the weight has uh, always been, uh, I think, a, a big part of keeping us on that middle path towards, uh, towards success. What about when you add into that mix, the business landscape, you know, competition uh how do you keep innovating what are some of the practices you guys have adopted that allows you to stay on pace or ahead of the markets in some cases where appropriate and continue to be competitive any any tips for us to uh, learn from you <laughs> um have a very large product team who invest lots of their time on research what the customer needs the new technologies and how to combine the two this has been a very, very helpful for us. We've uh, managed to keep ahead of the competition for I think, all of our existence and still keeping pace. Uh, but uh, in general, I think uh, like for me, like, innovation needs to come like from need. Like you, uh, you need to start up. What does the customer needs? They might not know they need it, but they still need it, and then uh, work uh, from there. Nice. Very cool. So let's, I, you as the CTO, someone who has intimate knowledge of how your coding development teams function and have functioned, you know, going from developer number two to, I'm not sure exactly the quantity number of employees you have today, but how might those team dynamics have shifted over the years, right? Mm -hmm. um, and what methodologies have you had to kind of intertwine? Are you using, you know, Agile or Kanban or something else, and maybe what does your what do your teams look like? What's your team dynamic? Is it that classic, you know, two pizza team, or what are you utilizing today? We've went through a lot of changes over the years. We started with a very like old school sprint uh, system. We've migrated through a lot. I won't bore you with all the details. Today we are. We're using Kanban. It's working very well for us. Our, we have uh, teams of uh, six developers per team, as and we have uh, QA automation per team. So that's like we started with manual QA. Now we're moving towards full automation for everyone. It's also helping us a lot to uh, to keep the system like stable as we grow and and uh, everything scales up and we need to test more and more on every release. What about the past couple of years? You know, the pandemic changed the way a lot of companies operate um, by really 
introducing remote work and also distributed work. Uh, many companies were used to distributed work, globally distributed work, but to, to many more, they were sort of forced into it and they had to adopt and learn. What was that like for you guys? Um, it was scary at first, like for everyone. Um, I think uh, we, we also didn't know what we were going into, how would it affect the party, but on a business side, it's been great for us. Companies were only looking to make themselves more efficient and, uh, and came to us. On, on the work level, we, of course, everyone went to work fully remote. We were hesitant at first, but we did see that people were very much like on board and they, like, productivity didn't dip. So uh, today we're on hybrid mode. So we get both the advantages of having like the cohesion of people working in the office and talking to each other and still having this flexibility of working from home. That's great. So I know that this hybrid mode is, is something that's up and coming. It's, I think, pretty much the way most companies will be operating, yeah. at least for the next few years. Well, but, companies, for sure. Yes, yes. The smart ones. <laughs> Let's qualify that. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? What speak to Chipotle a bit more about just your company culture? What might it be that makes you unique, uh, and why might people want to work with you? I think we have like a very unique atmosphere that I haven't really encountered in like other places that I've been. It's uh, hard to describe in words, but it's very. Kind of like collaborative homey people are very much into helping each other even if it, they're like from different teams or from different departments so like there's always a feeling that you can always turn to someone to help regardless of you know hierarchy what they're currently doing it's a uh, it's it's very pleasant to just <clears throat> to walk the office and just to start a conversation with someone and ask what's going on and have them kind of uh I don't know, ask you for help or, uh, again, not sure how to put this in words, it's kind of like a family-like atmosphere. For but, sure. Uh, it's, it's been very, uh, it's been really great. In, I'm so glad we managed to preserve it from like a small uh, company down to this size. Of course. That transition to, you know, this this high sense of collaboration, was that something that you found to be happenstance it just sort of naturally evolved or was it something that you and the co-founders were you know quite intentional about and on top of that what are the ways in which you facilitate this collaboration within your company that if you know if a company wants to sort of mimic that and needs to increase the collaboration what have you found that works for you so i don't know if you can create it like at least how to create it if you don't have it already. It's something that started when we were really just a small team with the CEO and like and a couple of my others with myself just sitting in the same office and just talking to each other freely and just maintained it as we grew. So like no matter when we were 10 people or 50 or 100 people, like we made sure to keep this dynamic and this... Uh, uh, this relationship that you can talk to anyone, you can ask anyone anything, that you're expected to uh, to be there to support others. And whenever someone did was not uh, doing this, we did uh, what we encouraged it more, and we talked to them uh, that we we do want that. 
Well, Igor, it sounds as though you guys had an amazing grounded foundation early on and you've maintained that, which is very difficult to do, especially as you grow and expand. And especially, I mean, you guys just got a huge uh, round of funding. I think you got uh, Series E, $270 million, something along those lines. I mean, that's mm -hmm. big pressure to expand and grow, uh, which often erodes the original culture, right? So I'm just curious to see what kind of uh, customers you guys have been able to attract uh, because of that kind of culture and also the kind of growth you've had in the past year that has led up to this recent funding round? Um, yeah, we have uh, a lot of uh, fairly big name customers. We have uh, customers, from, for example, Twitch are using Tipalti to pay all of their streamers. Mm -hmm. uh, Roblox are using Tipalti for their payments. Uh, GoDaddy are working with us, Roku, uh, many, many, many others. Uh, again, don't want to like, start putting out a, a long list here, but we have companies like from many, basically every single uh, field of industry. We, uh, this funding round was, uh, was great. I think it does show like the, the faith that investors have in us and uh, We've been justifying it. We've been growing, uh, basically doubling year over year throughout our entire existence, and uh, it's still going strong. Awesome. All right. So you got a big swath of cash. Uh, there's expectations for more growth. Uh, your guys are hiring. What's it like to work there? I mean, we got a little bit of a taste of uh, the culture. Uh, just curious for those watching that might want to join Tipalti, what's the day in the life? Uh, for like a developer, for example, what is the expectation? Tell us a little bit about the underlying culture that people could expect if they were to join your company. Well, so first of all, I think we have a very unique office. It's uh, it, it's in a kibbutz. Don't know if you guys know this. It's like a, a, a converted like farming village. So we, we have uh, basically a giant factory building that was converted for us. And it's simply gorgeous like everyone who goes there falls in love with the place and it's very unique not like an office atmosphere which always helps with uh, like again creating the culture it we uh, of course we have all of the usual dailies weeklies meetings uh, post-mortems all the the part of, of the developer's life but also we have lots of company events we do we just Today, we did a company movie night, for example, in our cafeteria. We have lectures. We go on company trips, which are restarting finally now that Corona is uh, mostly behind us. Yeah, it's been hard without those. And uh, we have really, like, our HR department is really hard at work and uh, getting us all back together, back to like, doing things together in the same office, in the same atmosphere. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I've missed that. <laughs> it sounds to me it's not just a collaborative environment. It's more like a togetherness environment that you guys are fostering. Am I, am I often saying that or is that, would you validate that? Oh, that's a great word. Yeah, I agree. All right. Awesome. So Beautiful. we're coming to the end and we, we're curious to get your thoughts on what this journey has been like for you personally. We, we heard a little bit 
from you. Developer number two to CTO, right? CTO. I mean, mm -hmm. what are some of the career lessons you've learned from that? Maybe you want to share with some other ones. You kind of want to come out of school and jump right into that role. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what, what's it been like for you? Any, any words of wisdom you'd like to share for those watching? You know, maybe there's the value in being patient, whatever that is. <laughs> Please share that with us. We'd appreciate it. Um, I think that the, to me, the biggest thing is like, I, I never set out to be a CTO. It was never part of, uh, like part of the goals for me, but I always, my goal is always to find a place that is fun to work with and where I can learn and develop and last, uh, and have impact on the product and on what the company does. And Tipalti was perfect for that as they started and that when I joined and as they grew and we grew, it just kept being true. Like no matter whether it was when we were four people or where we are now a thousand people, it's still true. We're, it's fun to work here. People, you, you have the impact, you can, uh, Talk to people, you're having fun, and that's the the most important thing, not the title. Amazing. Thank you for yeah. being with us. Thank you for yeah. sharing that with us. Thank you so much for having Sounds me. Sounds like a great place to definitely be a part of. So congratulations. We wish you a lot of success moving forward. Stay with us as we go off the air in just a second. Kim, we've got two more shows this week, right? What do we got we coming? We sure do. Both of the remaining shows this week are at our 12 o'clock Pacific slot. Coming up tomorrow, we'll be speaking with Tom Keeley, co-founder and CEO of Source Day, looking at how automating PO line changes can help, help excuse me, companies reduce late shipments, inventory carrying costs, pricing discrepancies, and out-of-stock issues. And then the last show this week will be on Thursday with Michael McCarthy, CEO of Inkit, really answering the question of data at rest is data at risk. But what does that mean for companies? So don't miss it. Wednesday and Thursday, 12 o'clock Pacific, Dojo Live. And if you do miss it, you can always check out our shows on our website, right, Dewey? That's right. <laughs> Dojo Live. It doesn't get any simpler than that. Thanks, everyone. See you again tomorrow. Thank you, Dude. Igor. Thank you. Check out past episodes, transcripts, blogs, and more on our website, dojo.nearsoft.com.